0: My name is Anat Wilf, and this is the We Should All Be Zionists podcast. Each week, I'll be reading one essay from my latest collection of essays book, We Should All Be Zionists, on issues facing the Jewish people and Israelis today. Conflict, peace, religion, politics, past, present, and future. At the end, I'll be joined by columnist Blake Flayton for a discussion on the themes of the essay, and how they apply to contemporary Israel and Jewish life. You can purchase your own copy of We Should All Be Zionists anywhere you get your books. Thanks for listening. Let's start. <laughs> Jewish Power and Powerlessness Essay for Jewish Insider, October 2018 Power corrupts. That is an ancient insight shared by biblical writers no less than Greek, Roman, Hindu, and Chinese ones. But the insight of Zionism which perhaps only the Jews, as illiterate and continuously powerless people, could contribute, was that powerlessness corrupts no less. Zionism emerged in no small measure due to the observation that a people, whose very survival depended on the goodwill of others, which was generally lacking, is corrupted by the need to ingratiate itself with those in power. Zionist thinkers observed that the constant need to appease those in power in an effort to prevent them unleashing their wrath against the Jews has taken a heavy toll on the Jewish soul. Zionism sought to correct this corruption of Jewish existence by making Jews masters of their fate, powerful once again, normalized political actors among the nations. It has taken several generations, but in that sense, Zionism has been a complete triumph. The current generation growing up in Israel appears entirely disconnected from the experience of powerlessness. It conducts itself with the kind of confidence that would have probably made early Zionist leaders kvetch with pride. Yet, herein lies the problem. After centuries and nearly millennia of being isolated from the corrupting effects of power by their forced powerlessness, Jews are now experiencing it in full force. In that sense, Jews have indeed become politically normalized. For Jews living outside of Israel, and even for many in Israel, this might be too much too soon. Many experience and express deep unease with the speed with which Jews have become normalized. In many ways, this is one of the greatest challenges of present-day Zionism and Israel to Jews. One could even describe it as the theological challenge of Zionism to Judaism. It demonstrates that when possessing power, Jews are no better and no worse, it should be emphasized, than all other people with power. The idea that Jews are somehow a uniquely moral people, capable of managing power differently than all other members of the human species, should have been summarily dismissed by even a cursory reading of the Hebrew Bible. After all, if there is one overarching theme of the Hebrew Bible, it is that of a people constantly corrupted despite repeated exhortations by a series of prophets. Yet for Jews living outside of Israel, it has been a comforting thought to consider themselves heirs to a uniquely moral tradition. Many have conflated powerlessness with morality, forgetting that the supposed moral behavior of Jews over the centuries was the simple outcome of facing none of the moral dilemmas faced by those exercising power. This has led some to mistakenly believe that it is Israel that is ruining the moral standing of the Jews. Worse, this has led some Jews, still at the margins, to promote Jewish powerlessness once again, in an effort to restore the apparent moral purity of a Jewish powerless existence. A generation that has never known what it is to be truly powerless, a generation that has come to believe that the last truly unprecedented five decades of Jewish existence in the U.S. and Canada, during which there was always a sovereign state of Israel, seems to believe it has reached a Jewish end of history. Some Jews, especially younger ones, have come to take it so much for granted that they considered the trade-off of power for moral purity a worthwhile one. But neither the confidence of Israeli Jews that they have reached an end of history of Jewish power No, nor the American Jewish notion that Jews in America have reached an end of history of Jewish integration, equality, and comfort don't stand up to scrutiny. The one incontrovertible fact of Jewish existence, one that has remained unchanged, is size. Jews are, and always have been, a minuscule people. This has remained unchanged despite substantial procreation efforts the relative size of the Jewish people is such that even in the absence of a premeditated industrial genocide, we cannot procreate our way out of it. As a result, the Jewish doctrine, certainly in the modern era, whether in Israel or outside it, has been essentially the same, that of a blowfish. Whether through Nobel Prizes, Hollywood movies, technology startups, and a nuclear arsenal— the Jewish people have been engaged in a sustained effort to make sure that no one in the world be clued into the fact that the actual number of Jews in the world is a meager 15 million, give or take. It is the reason that we speak of a Judeo-Christian civilization when we are among Christians or of a fellow proud ancient civilization when we meet with Hindu and Chinese leaders. We cannot afford to be alone we must, as a matter of survival, punch way, way above our weight. The unfortunate reality, as we repeatedly experience it in the United Nations, where the nations seem to only be united when it is against Israel, is that our size makes us all too easy to gang up on. Despite decades of Jewish achievement and relative power, our minuscule size means that always lurking underneath is the very distinct possibility That the current realities of relative Jewish power and equality would be reversed. The current leadership of the Jewish people, whether in Israel or in the United States, having still experienced the price of Jewish powerlessness and inequality, while effectively engaging in the blowfish strategy and enjoying the fruits of the current era of Jewish power, is still very much keenly aware of the actual size of the Jewish people and of how reversible the current reality is. Unfortunately, this awareness is becoming less typical of the confident generation of young Jews in Israel or of the comfortable generation of young Jews in America. Young Jews in Israel and young Jews in America are both under the illusion that they have been luckily disconnected from Jewish history. This is at the source of their so-called distancing. Young Jews in Israel increasingly seem oblivious to the limits of their power, and young Jews in America seem to question the need for power at all. Both are wrong. No matter how much actual power Jews in Israel amass, their minuscule size in the region and otherwise means that they would be wise to recognize its limits and refrain from pursuing the corrupting territorial and other ambitions that ignore that basic insight. For Jews in America, no matter how comfortable the current reality appears, it would be wise to resist the temptations of moral purity that comes from powerlessness. Power corrupts, but powerlessness corrupts no less. Our survival as a minuscule Jewish people depends on Jews, both in Israel and outside it, heeding both insights of Jewish history, which has very much not come to an end.
1: So, Einat, you just finished reading Jewish Power and Powerlessness, which was obviously written well before our current crisis in Israel, the current war that we're experiencing. But, as is the case with many essays in this piece, Uh, The themes are very relevant, if not eerie, how prescient they are. Uh, Because over the last two months, I have seen and we all have seen this outpouring of Jewish Americans, Jews in the diaspora, who blatantly, and as you write in this piece, pretty obviously feel very uncomfortable. With the idea of Israel, and who feel very uncomfortable, even more so, with the idea of Israel going to war to defend itself. And of course, they will never admit that. They will always say it's about the Palestinians and it's about human rights and it's about equality and it's about how their Judaism doesn't need to be lumped in to a nation state, maybe that they've never even been to. But I have a feeling. That there is something psychological rather than political, which you mentioned and you've spoken about in previous talks before. That seems to be an underlying current, that there's something grievance-based here rather than just what might be happening in Gaza today or what was happening in the West Bank three years ago or even in the region 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. I'm wondering if you could expand more on the psychological aspect of specifically Jewry feeling uncomfortable with Jewish power?
0: Certainly. I think uh, Jews uh, outside of Israel have, many, have been fed a certain diet that says that to be Jewish is to be moral. Uh, And the vision of morality is this very pure vision that... uh, that basically is the morality of powerlessness. And I claim that it's no morality at all. If you don't have any power, then you're not really facing moral choices. And I think in that sense, actually, Judaism has a different tradition. Uh, you think, for example, Christianity and others, uh, they have the traditions of uh, kind of removing yourself from life you know, not eating, not, you know, being a monk. Asceticism. Yes, exactly. Jew, like, Judaism doesn't have monks, essentially. You don't have this notion that by removing yourself from life, you somehow ascend as a moral person. If anything, Judaism is marked by the fact that you have a lot of rules and a lot of laws, how to live, how to be in real life, how to eat, how to procreate, how to have a family, how to engage in commerce, but it's very much engaged with life, with real life. And and the morality comes from engaging with life. The notion that Jewish powerlessness in itself breeds a certain Jewish morality and concern for social justice is really almost a Christianized concept Uh, there's someone, I forgot right now, who said that the Jews are the only nation that's actually asked to be a Christian nation <laughs> or that the Israeli military is the only army that is asked to fight like a Christian army, but not like the marauding uh, crusader kind, but the kind that kind of lends the other cheek. So I think there has been a complete contortion of what it means to be moral. Uh, and morality can only emerge, in my view, when you face real choices, when you actually have power to make choices. If you don't have the power to make choices, what good is your morality? What good is this like purity? And I think in many ways, you could almost argue that for a lot of Jews, uh, the, the muscle of morality almost became atrophied because it's very nice to be a minority that kind of can crowd itself on the most progressive, liberal end and only be for positive values and never really face any dilemmas, any choices. So uh, I must say this vision of Judaism is actually not so Jewish at all.
1: Right. And it's so it's it's so important that you brought up the Christian aspect of it, because really, I think we, we both have discussed this outside of recordings, that Christianity was really this revolution in the world. You know, we go back to Dominion by Tom Holland, that Christianity was this really this revolution. And it was almost the spiritual revolution as well, because it was blessed be the meek rather than blessed be the strong. And especially in our contemporary era, a lot of Christianity is about doing good deeds and helping those less fortunate and waiting, assigning power to immorality and the poor, the sick, the 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 the, mm-hmm. the struggling as the blessed. Yeah. And in a contemporary America, as Tom Holland writes, that has a lot of connections with the social justice movement, which is in a lot of ways a religion of its own. And Judaism is the new Judaism that is uncomfortable with Israel is really trying to, I think, obviously align itself um, with that. What about the Jews in America who say, not I heard everything you just said, but I feel powerful because I have a successful family, or I'm successful and I have a great family and I have a great life and I feel relatively safe in America. I don't need Israel to, and you hear all this all the time, you know, not in my name. Mm -hmm. I don't need Israel to kill people. I don't need Israel to wield any sort of power. I don't need Jews to wield any sort of power in the Middle East for me to feel personally enriched as a Jew. Uh, And and this might be a Jew who has connections to Jewish history, you know, who descends from Holocaust survivors, even. It's this distance. So maybe they roll their eyes at, you know, us pontificating about, well, you know, they're uh, more in line with Christianity, and they're not really in touch with Judaism. And they say, who, who are, who the hell are you to tell me how I feel strong or not?
0: So first of all, entirely legitimate. I mean, I, I don't rule out that people say, I don't need this. And if this is a genuine position, by all means, if people say, my life is good, we live in a different era. It doesn't matter what people are, who they are. I don't need Israel. Fair enough. I'm not um, like I'm not disputing that as a kind of personal position, and and for many it might be it might be true, but what I find is is not that so much. Uh, I find people who feel the need to actively demonstrate that they're the good kind of Jews, the Jews that uh, don't appreciate power, that actively condemn Israel. Uh, Shani Moore called it the proud-to-be-ashamed Jews, the ones that will sign any letter in The Guardian or the New York Review of Books saying, you know, not in my name, what Israel's doing is shameful— if it's really not in your name, if you have no connection, then you don't need to say that. Like, that, just go and live your life. Right, right. Uh, I, I have no problem with those for whom this is a genuine feeling. It's just not what I often come across. I come across those who need to kind of do it in a very uh, demonstrative, performative way. And that's when I begin to get a bit suspicious right
1: and uh my last question on this specific essay is you know there was a scandal uh last year or maybe it was 2 years ago i can't remember with the uh, a museum opening in hollywood uh about the academy awards yes. and the movie industry in hollywood and this museum did well to touch upon all of the contributions of like for instance black americans and of course lgbt americans to the great movie industry. But the one group that they neglected to honor in the museum was, of course, the people who built the American yeah. movie industry and who, in a lot of ways, made Hollywood what it is today. Um, and they rectified it after outrage. I I could be wrong, but I do believe they have at least some exhibit there now about the Jewish American contribution. Um or at least people or made, or temporarily one, or or at least yeah. people made the right statements and appeased the LA Jewish community. Um, but that impulse, because you have to, you have to think that Jews were involved in this decision making. So taking Israel even out of the equation for a bit, that impulse to dilute our own influence and our own power in the diaspora. Where does that come from? Because then we're not getting into a discussion of nationalism and military and power. We're getting into a discussion of, look, the American dream. And we're perhaps the the most perfect embodiment of the American dream. And what's the shame in that? But still, there's that discomfort, not only just in Hollywood, but in law and academia and all of these places where we've excelled.
0: Certainly. And I, and I think this really goes much more to the core of it because, uh, Jews claim that, or like what you presented in your previous question, they would claim that they feel powerful, they have no problem with power. But you're right that very few actually behave as if they're confident with the acquisition and the use of power. I don't know who said it, but I once read a piece about Jewish museums in America. And they said that if you look at any any other group in America— uh, which has their own museum. It will all be about their contribution, and you know who they are, and how they're how much they're interesting as a people, and their particular heritage, and what they bring to it. He says, if you go to Jewish museums uh, in America, it's all about America, and there's or the Holocaust, yeah, and there's very little about what's like uniquely Jewish and celebrating Jewish heritage, and it's all about America. So. uh, Yesterday, I participated in a discussion where a lot of Jews kind of said, okay, how do we move forward after October 7th, especially after October 8th, where the response uh, and the feeling of Jews in America, so many have become uneasy. And one of the things I said is that I feel a lot of Jews haven't even begun to scratch the surface. One person said, uh, you know, we can't do this on our own. We'll need a lot of allies. And it's true that we need allies, and as I write in this piece, uh, we're too small to do things on our own, but also we have not even begun to like really mobilize all the power, all the abilities, all the resources of the Jews outside Israel to fight for legitimate, strong Jewish presence in those countries. And you see, it's actually the Jews that have reached the stratosphere of power uh, in Hollywood and other places that are the most fearful in saying anything. And if you're afraid to say something, then, then that does show something that perhaps you're not completely comfortable. Even say something, I don't care. Israel's not important to me. I don't care, and I don't think any Jew should care. Fine. If that's your position, say it. That would at least convince me that you're truly a confident Jew wherever you are. The fact that so many have gone mum, or when they finally spoke, they spoke just in the most, I mean, really, the worst possible way, shows you that, you know, there's still not comfort with power if people claim there is.
1: Right. It's kind of like when David Badil in the UK wrote Jews Don't Count, yeah. which is certainly not a Zionist book. It's nope. not a it's not an outcry in support yeah. of the state of Israel. But I read the book and I liked the book mostly because I was like, okay, the Corbin era at yeah. least shook some people yeah. out of this complacency, out of this comfort mm-hmm. with, with with the double standards and mm-hmm. the hypocrisy at play yeah. in these particular environments. Um and just to go on what you said about uh, uh, museums in America. This and, and the reason why I mentioned the Holocaust and, and the Holocaust museums is because the National Mall in Washington, D.C. is perhaps the most perfect example of this, of how there's so many monuments and museums to all of these different groups in America and their story and their contribution. And we go and we feel so proud and we feel so pensive about it. And then you go to the Jewish quote-unquote thing on the National Mall and it's a monument to how we were destroyed and victimized, which, as people like Ruth Weiss say, you are supposed to leave feeling like a better person, really kind of detached from anything remotely, particularly Jewish. So, there's a, we can talk about this for hours. But anyway, I wanted to say thank you. It's a fascinating piece um, and it's very relevant, of course. Thank you. אישה, אף אישה שכזאת זה רק פעם בשניים דורות מה נשמע? איך עולך העלן? זה את זה לא
0: ראינו בזמן היא תמיד שפלמך